Welcome to the Thoughtful Dead Podcast. It's a show co-hosted by Wesley Chance and Joe Worthy, who want to show a new view of fatherhood, the Thoughtful Dad. The paradigm of current and past eras have shown dads as background performers in their children's lives. We seek to change that and introduce a space where dads can be thoughtful and intentional about their role in their child's life. Me and Wesley will weave liberal arts, leadership, current events, and personal storytelling into content that appeals to the modern dad and gives them a listening experience that hopefully helps them in their fatherhood journey. Okay, welcome to the Thoughtful Dad podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Wesley. And we are two, we like to call ourselves Thoughtful Dads, where we think about the things we do as fathers most of the time. Sometimes before we do them, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. afterwards. Right. We do our best. Right, but there's, there's always some thought somewhere. So, for our first episode, we're going to talk about a few things. And our episodes generally cover three major subjects. Um, we're capping some news, some things happening in the news that we think affects fatherhood and the like, liberal arts and um some leadership lessons or just leadership in general that's usually yeah that's the plan and i'm sure that other stuff will come up that doesn't fit neatly into any of those categories but it makes sense to try to have a a plan in an organization even if things don't go quite the way you want them to all the time and so if uh if under news we can also include like things that are going on in our lives i think that would be a natural place for that to go to, but I'm sure that that's going to kind of blend into everything here. Those those uh, goings on will find their way into each of these. That's true. Um, so we're going to start first with our news recap. And since folks don't really know us, the first thing we're going to talk about is where we get our news. And I think that's very important question these days, uh, especially with all the fake news going around and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's changed so much in a short time, the way that people use information and how often they're connected to news media. And like you said, yeah, what the quality of that information is, whether it's trustworthy, whether it's real has, has really changed dramatically. So I know that you always used to watch news on TV from when I first knew you, Joe, but I don't know if that's still mm-hmm. how you primarily are, are are connected these days. No, actually. I watch very little TV news okay. these days. Um, there was a time when I watched a lot of it. Actually it was during the well, it was during the pandemic. So when we were when we were in the pandemic, like obviously you would need to watch it to get like updates of things that were going on. And for the most part, like when there were briefings on things that were going on, like all of the major news networks were showing the same thing. So that. But also during the pandemic, there was a lot of um, uprisings, right, happening. And I remember. That was also the time when we were doing a lot of like major renovations on our house. It was actually the time when I was laying new floors on the whole first floor of the house. So I would have the TV on 
the the uh, uprisings. Yeah. And I would be laying floors, and when I would take a break, I would sit and watch, just like what whatever was going on. And um, I remember that whole summer was marked by like uh, air compressor, the constant <laughs> of the flooring hammer, um, being upset that some floorboards weren't straight, and tear gas and shouting in the background of like yeah. what was going on in the news. <laughs> That is pretty surreal. (laughs) Yeah. Combo. Yeah. So what channel though? I mean, like you said, a lot of this stuff is is picked up by pretty much everyone, but like it was all, it was always MSNBC, right? Like that was what you used to watch at least. Pretty much MSNBC or um, CNN. But you know what? Actually, sometimes I do actually watch Fox News to see how they're reporting a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's important to see like how everyone's like naming something, especially when there's a huge event, like you would think the facts would be the same, right? Mm -hmm. The difference is with all the the different news news networks is like how they interpret those facts and like what are the conversations being had with those facts. Sure. So, yeah. So that's um, pretty much what I would, what I would do. But actually recently, um, I was talking to one of Mel's aunts at this family reunion that we were at in California. This woman is awesome. And, you know, we started having this conversation about news. Um, and she said something, you know, like really interesting that I had completely agreed with, which is why I generally don't tend to watch it very much, especially after um, my involvement in like a very intense political organizing campaign and you know seeing how things are reported or not reported or you know like whatever is going on i that's when i sort of stopped being able to really sort of stomach tv news you know what i mean like because it's news like you get in general like some some of the some of the stuff that's going on but there but there's really no deep i guess like detail into like what the actual facts are and like what they mean for people and yeah so that's probably like why why i really don't do it anymore because like having been in politics for a very long time being involved in the real thing this is what i know like more or less those those spaces are used for you to get your point of view across right like that is what you're trying to get them to do there comes a time when you know a point of view isn't necessarily what like is in line with like what it is they're trying to get across themselves if that makes sense so like um it's not like it's not factual but it's it's not as factual as it could like for for any of them really um so you know that's been trouble for me but anyway so mel my partner her her aunt uh was talking about how like we have given up and by we like me and her on the left right so She said, we have given up our platform to these news conglomerates, right? And so we allow them to set the narrative for, like, everything that we care about, Um, when in fact, it's not always all the time, like, what, you know, real people on the ground are actually caring about. And so we have to find a way to take back our narrative from these folks to get across the people, like, what really is going on in this country. So what did she have a suggestion about 
how to do that or or at least some ideas about possibilities for that because i i mean the thing that immediately comes to mind for me is like social media right but that has other mm-hmm. problems where the kinds of information that people want to talk about on there are, are going to be very narrow perhaps right and like the most shocking way that you can say something is the way that is going to get it to to be shared and and responded to the most so that has its own um, problems i guess but but i don't know uh, maybe there is some positive that comes out of that because people are at least choosing yeah. what they're what they're engaging with um, to some extent so what what did she say about that there was nothing in particular it was more just like us complaining about the current state of things like we we're, <laughs> there are more conversations to be had like it was a two-week continued type of thing right yeah but i guess in my own experience though you know what i've done is you know in, in political work is report your own news right and mm-hmm. but there's still integrity in that too right and it's not about just being like splashy and of course there are some ways to like trick algorithms and get like yeah. the stuff out there so that people will want to see it, but there's a balance there, you know, but like, it's all grounded in making sure that whatever it is that we're trying to say is the truth or it is unveiling, you know, like an opinion or a point of view that just isn't, that may not just be, that just may not be mainstream, you know, like, so, but yeah. So I guess for the most part, like most of my news is read you know, like I read, I'll read like news magazines, like The Economist. I don't know if this is actually a new, uh, actual news magazine, but Philosophy Now. Okay. You know? um, and it's not like I, I don't like sit there and read them cover to cover. Like, let's be, let's be honest. Like, that's not what's happening. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, I'll get the issue and I'll be like, oh, that's interesting, you know, and just read it, uh, you know, like, for the facts. Um, There's also some other places that I'll get my news, like Vice News on Showtime. Like I'll look at those, like, you know, it's just like very digestible, you know, to the point. And they do a good job, like reporting, like what's going on and and stuff like that. And there's actually this, there, there are some environmental activists that just started this new publication. I don't even remember what it is, but it's a part of some of the work that I'm doing and I was shared this publication and they write their own news stories. So, I mean, I guess the point is, is that like, in some cases you just want to get as much as you can so that you can make informed decisions of like what the heck yeah. you think about the world, maybe without letting someone sort of like let you know what you need to think, right? Like, I think that's important. Where do you get your news, Wesley? What's, what's the... Yeah, I, so I always used to watch it at the dinner table growing up like that's that's what i mean by like the way that times have changed so quickly because we we always had the tv and we'd have uh, like the simpsons on or like seinfeld or jeopardy you know all that stuff that happens around that time in the evening and then like you know the the local news um and i grew up outside dc so a lot of that news was also like national news right because that's that's what um, a lot of what is going on in that in that locality. So we always sort of just like had this ambient sound of the the people at their desk, you know, and they're like 
they have a, a <laughs> it's the kind of thing that Ron Burgundy makes fun of in Anchorman, right? But like the the real version of that, um, of, of that persona, basically, um, of the newscaster, and that's like a really old idea, right? Going back maybe a hundred years or something at this point to like radio broadcasts, and and but but the point is that that was like a pretty unified, generally agreed upon sort of news. And that's just not true anymore. And it hasn't been for a while, I guess. But I, you know, I, I pretty much was tuned out of news for maybe a, a decade or so where I, I didn't pay a lot of attention, didn't have a regular source for it. And then, yeah, around a couple of years ago, like a lot of people like suddenly, well, you can't like afford to just ignore what's going on and, yeah. and, and it's going to make itself felt. So instead of just like hearing from people in my circle, what they had heard on the news or were reading uh, or whatever. And instead of just having like, you know, personal interactions with people and getting it through that, which I think is valuable, but, but then I would like be pretty uh, consistently checking uh, headlines and stuff on my phone. Um, And so I still don't really watch news on TV. I definitely don't um, subscribe to any magazines or anything. Uh, I had the Atlantic for a little bit. And so I would read Mm. a lot of the Atlantic, but after that expired, I didn't bother to renew it. And I, I mean, I just felt like I could get enough from other places that I didn't need that, that kind of like really, I feel like the Atlantic is a pretty um, highbrow, you know, they're doing a lot of interesting like comparisons and a lot of it's pretty historical. They bring in like uh, uh, an example from, um, from American history, especially. But once I, had read that for a while, I was kind of like, okay, I, I sort of, I'm good on this. I, I, I don't want to spend that much time digging into a few subjects. I want to see, like you said, like just sort of like what's out there generally and mo- almost more just to see like the various takes on things rather than to dig in into any one thing too much. So anyway, I just basically browse headlines on US network sites, um, on the BBC, on uh, Vox, and then other stuff like um, I really lately have been liking the Boston Review, um, which I just like happened to see a link to somewhere, and then I was like, oh my gosh, they that they they have definitely got like a different perspective. I'm heavily like interested in uh, law and um, art and stuff like that. So that's a that's kind of a cool one um, that has kind of taken the place of the Atlantic for me in some ways. Uh, but but the long and short of it is like I'm not really a a news junkie. I definitely don't spend much time on social media, but what I do is listen to podcasts, you know, and it's a lot of this kind of like conversational style podcast. So like um, uh, Ezra Klein used to be with Fox, then went over to uh, New York Times. And I listen to his conversations pretty regularly. I try to listen to a bunch of people who are really into video games, because that's a thing that I get a lot of like joy and just like, I don't know, intellectual of a, of a workout almost like listening to people really dig into that stuff. Uh, and it's something that, again, I grew up with and have just gotten more and more interested in it as it's become like pretty much a universal way to spend your time, right? Like everyone plays video games now uh, where that wasn't true when I was a kid necessarily. So, so anyway, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that I have changed how I get my news. I agree. I don't think there's like a good answer here, but I like the idea 
of having at least a few people in your in your life that you can bounce ideas off of and um and have at least some different perspectives on the the messaging that you're getting um so that you're not just sitting there watching one kind of news all day long i think that is definitely not a great diet uh, uh, of information so that's my take on so let me take a step back and you you were able to watch news you were able to watch tv during dinner and you were mm-hmm. kid. you lucky dog <laughs> tv off in my house like, so i feel the same way a chance as a parent i'm kind of like i don't know that i want to do that that's that's giving up a lot of um time together but yeah again it's a different world yeah that's you know people do dinner time different you know but yeah tv at dinner time not have i would have loved to come to your house <laughs> like what do you mean you get to watch the simpsons oh my what? gosh yeah I was not allowed to watch the simpsons as a kid. oh so not even just during dinner but period it was forbidden period oh forbidden wow. not okay um, was not so, allowed to watch Bart Simpson. Until what age? I mean, at a certain point, they can't enforce that anymore, though, right? <laughs> is this the first your mom is hearing that you know about the yeah. Simpsons? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, and, you know, interestingly enough, like, I've never, ever really watched it or really any sort of shows like that. So like the, your family guys and your mm-hmm. dramas, and, you know what I mean? Like all those types of like adult, I guess, cartoons. Yeah. Just never, they, they were just, they've never really been a real part of my life. The most I think I would get into them is maybe like, like a, like a clip or something on Facebook or something or okay. some sort of social media. But I, I'm not about to like sit down and watch an episode of like The Simpsons, you know what no, I mean? Um, I, or the or Family Guy. Like I, don't, it's not like appointment TV for me, which it seems like it is for a lot of folks. I mean, yeah. that I mean these shows are like really popular. Um, but in my household, growing up, they were always seen as sort of um, just like horrible examples. <laughs> so right. Let me tell someone to eat my shorts, right? Like over from yeah. the <laughs> It's so that's a big thing. Like, I definitely had friends whose parents were more strict about what they watched on TV and when the TV could be on and stuff. And growing up, uh, my parents were super lenient about all that kind of stuff to to an extent because we never had cable until I was a bit older. So that was the, the like the natural limitation on it was like you're only going to get like a certain menu of things because you only have like four channels or whatever. And again, that's like an unimaginably different world than what we live in now, um, where you can just see anything at any time, basically. There's um, so much content for kids. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. And well, shoot. Well, that's a big subject. Like what do we let our kids watch? Yeah. Like how much TV or content? we let them consume it's a battle man like (laughs) it's a battle okay so you know i have an 11 year old right this is kj this is kj and he has tablet or an ipad and there's so many things you have to do to set that thing up so that they don't go into like 
dark web territory yeah. you know like you it, it's just like it's it's just crazy the amount of stuff that they could have access to if you're not careful oh, it's really a pain in the neck and i think as careful as you are they're gonna find ways there's around always, that yeah. there's always something else because like as a teacher at school that's the constant battle as well right kids all have phones they all have you know crazy stuff that they're sending each other and like sending each other links to and hearing about from wherever and so their their attention like we need them to listen and engage with things that we're trying to teach right that's like that's that's school but it's always been the case that students are more interested in what each other are doing and so we we try to make the things we're teaching line up with things that they might be interested in that they might work on together and and then you run into this problem of well but they are always divided they're never actually like even really present because part of them is always off in whatever else is going on socially on their phone right and on online um so that's that's a new thing that that i didn't deal with growing up as a kid and that as a teacher now and as a parent you know soon enough that that kind of thing is going to be a yeah it's an enormous battle it's to the point where, as I say, I, I think you can't you can't just like keep it away, right? At a certain point, it's more about I think how you talk about it, yeah. and how you can like distinguish or like make sure that what's going on in the real world, as in where we are here together, counts more than what's going on in all those other places. And like I think that's true. Even when we would watch TV growing up, like we'd still like talk to each other you know we weren't all yeah. like on our own separate little screens the way that you see people at restaurants like and i don't <laughs> pass judgment but i never want to be that person where i like put a screen in front of my kid to to get them to be quiet in a restaurant or something right and then i go on my phone and steph's on her phone and, and that's what we're doing yeah um, that's that seems like a yeah as as tough it is as it is to to keep them off the device th there are certain certain points at which like that's definitely too far yeah i never want to be device dependent you know i mean because it gives you're giving so much ground and and see here's the thing like also with whether it's with you know the you know my 11 year old kj or with my two-year-old shelly you know i never want to be like device dependent like with with kj i don't want to have to block everything right i want him to be able to use his best judgment of like how to engage with these things because like ultimately in life like you're never going to be able to block everything from them like they're going to come into contact with it like mm -hmm. all the time and yeah. so i think you know the real cure for like the the device question isn't necessarily like more algorithms or things that create roadblocks or firewalls for mm -hmm. kids but like it's like instilling a philosophy about like this is how you should engage in the world this is what is appropriate and what isn't and like you can you know engage and use your best judgment to not do some of those things because like ultimately like in person those things happen all the time right yeah um yeah. and so like you can't block everything from the kid like you would of course, you know, of course, if, if, if that's what they do all the time with the time on the, on the 
an iPad or whatever, you know, then maybe you can, but that's not, it's not the life you want them to live, right? So um, right. you want to be able to, to engage in the world responsibly. So I think it's important to like maybe have like some sort of like philosophy on how to engage with them. And then also like certain things, like I'll tell them, I'll tell, you know, my kids like garbage in, garbage out, you know, like <laughs> if you are watching and consuming garbage in your brain, like that's what's going to come out of your mouth right so um you know be careful of like the things that you're watching and but you know kid is so funny because he tried to convince me that like <laughs> like naruto like has some like essential life lessons in it you know oh, that's I mean? great Good for <laughs> and he's like no but you see like there was this this thing going on with the you know what i mean and like i think like just the fact that he's trying to like convince me that like there's a lesson in this show that he loves so much is I think a good thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because it's not just about like whether or not I like the shows that he watches. Right. But is he watching things with intention? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and like not just sort of zoned out, but like taking in and seeing sort of lessons and leadership in those places. So that's actually uh, was like a interesting, cute, like conversation he was really trying to like convince me that like <laughs> like naruto was this like philosophical powerhouse that i really needed to like start to engage in you know that's good um so so yeah i mean and with shelly like i mean the the youtube is just like it's very engaging it's very gamey to the extent that like you know you click something happens you click something happens you know what i mean so so for for the, like the child's brain it's just like very like rewarding right oh, like yeah. um well for anybody's brain that's why they set it up the way that they do but you know what i found that's interesting though is <laughs> so confession like i what well, i did get really tired one day and i was like, <laughs> I was like do you want to Go go watch your iPad. No, because mm -hmm. <laughs> she was. Whoa! Playing, <laughs> yeah, we were playing this tickle game, right? Uh, like I go out in the yard and I pretend to be asleep, and <laughs> then she would pretend to sneak up on me. Not sneaky at all, by the way. Like, not <laughs> <even> <laughs> I mean, and it's definitely not sneaky when you're like, oh, 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 like I mean, really I, noisy. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, but she would try to sneak up on me and tickle me. And then, of course, I would tickle her first. And then I'd get up and run. She'd chase me. I'm playing this game forever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> forever. And it was hot. You know what I mean? And, like, this Midwest heat is, like, a different kind of hot. If you have not experienced I know you've experienced Western, but like, if you're listening and you haven't experienced it, it's on another level hot because it's not just hot it's humid okay and so when you see those memes about the midwest believe them they are so true but like like it was hot out there and i was like <laughs> i was just like mm, <laughs> do you, you want to go watch your ipad she's like no sleep <laughs> go to sleep <laughs> i'm like all right <laughs> but i mean the point is um that sort of engagement, I think ultimately is more fulfilling and more addicting than any sort of device, right? It's just about like taking the time to sort of like do it and engage in it and do those things. It's a lot more rewarding for their brain than just one click, I think, to engage in those things. It's just about creating the conditions where they can engage in those things. So absolutely. Yeah. And they naturally choose to like, 
Right. That's a really interesting example of. But see, that's so true. Oh, sorry to cut you off, but see, but they do naturally choose to. So then, like, what conditions are created that then they're sort of trained onto these devices, right? Like, because yeah. what I've seen is that, like, she would prefer to do, like, the arts and crafts and the painting mm-hmm. over any sort of like screen time. Like, you know, like they want to be live and in person for most everything. So. Yeah, Sorry, William is no he he is very sucked into the the screen. Once he's on that, it's really difficult to get him to be done with it before he's done with it on his own terms. And that worries me to an extent because it's like I don't want to have to be having, you know, having him associate like stopping watching TV with, you know, being forced to do something else. And and yet, I can't just let him keep watching TV all the time because that's, yeah, it's not, it's not what I want him to have as a habit either. And so there's a a big struggle with him to like limit the time, just the sheer amount of time that he sits there and watches that. Um, not even getting into like the content yet, of course, because like you know he's on he's on just like kids videos and stuff. That's all that yeah. comes up. Um, It's not an issue yet. But I think the other big part of that is just, as you said, like forming a, like the conditions for me that a lot of that is just like the routines and there, there's like, you know, there is a time that we get to watch this stuff, right? So don't worry about it. Like, don't stress about not seeing TV today. It will be back, right? Like, don't, it's not, um, not something you have to. Uh, fight about we'll give you your tv time just not right now (laughs) so he like when we have friends and family over he's really just hanging out and and having fun and and running around and stuff and he doesn't even ask for it it's when it's just us right and it's back to like the normal routine that's when he starts to be like okay i want to i want to sit and watch tv and lately we've been trying to get him to do some potty training and so this is like a a reward that we can give him for sitting on the potty is the TV, which then it's a diff- it's difficult to get him up off the potty again at that point. So <laughs> it's a it's a, diff- it's a difficult balance right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think like it's the same for Shelly when um, there's family around. The device never you know becomes a question. Mm-hmm. But I well, this is actually. A, a good transition because we're talking about whether or not kids should be on or not on devices. We were checking out this podcast earlier, The Tiger Mom Won't Stop Roaring. Right. Which, do you want to give us a little background on it, Wesley? Yeah. So this is a thing that is not by any means news at this point, but the author Amy Chua uh, is a, a professor at Yale uh, I think in the law school, uh, she wrote a book like 10 years ago or more at this point uh, about the tiger mom. I think it's called like Him of the Tiger Mom, uh, something like that. And it's essentially like a, a memoir uh, where she talks about how she was raised um, as the child of Chinese immigrants. And then in turn, like how she as a parent is trying to instill some of those same values that she got in her kids. But of course, the big difference being that she is not any longer 
an immigrant, right? She was raised here. She was fully immersed in American culture. Uh, and so she is trying to, in a way, like reproduce something that she felt was beneficial, but she can't quite do it. Um, her kids kind of look at her and are like, well, does it really matter? You know, like um, they, they don't have that same kind of drive that she felt um, conveyed by her parents because of their experience, basically. Like, so her kids are perfectly comfortable in a way that she maybe couldn't be uh, as a kid. Um, this is what she's talking about in this, uh, this podcast with uh, Barry Weiss. And this is in the wake of you know, since that book was released, Tiger Mom has kind of become this like thing people know about, even if they haven't read the book. And she went on to release another book more recently that was like kind of broadening the scope to think about the ways that different immigrant groups and different groups in general um, have, you know, different outcomes. Looking at like broadly, statistically, uh, there's like certain groups in a country that tend to perform at a high level in different ways that are measurable and then other groups that don't. And then she was, you know, understandably, a predictably like called out uh, as, you know, being a racist or being at the very least, like a little bit tone deaf about how she was talking about this, given the kind of uh, Black Lives Matter stuff that was bubbling up around that time. And, and in more so sense because she, so another like really hot button thing, she came out and supported Brett Kavanaugh during his uh, process of uh, being appointed to the Supreme Court under Trump. She wrote like a big op-ed that just attested to like her experience with him and saying that he was great and all that. And then like a few months later, um, these allegations come up that uh, that he is plainly unfit for that office, right? Uh, again, she doesn't like back down from what she said because that is not her experience with him. You know, she has a good professional relationship where she sends students of hers to be, uh, you know, intern or clerk or whatever it is with, with his offices and, and stuff like that. So she has this like fierce loyalty, which I think is admirable. Um, but on the other hand, she has this like apparent inability to moderate or really like engage with um, criticism. And that's, you know, maybe that's the trade-off uh, of being like the successful kid of the tiger mom. Uh, at least that's, you know, how I'm I'm understanding it from really just like, like I said, getting some headlines here, some podcasts here and stuff like that. Um, and I do want to read the book. Uh, the tiger mom book is one that um, I haven't read, but is like on my list. And that's why I kind of brought it up. It's like, it's, it's always in the back of my mind because my, my fear, you know, my insecurity is that I'm like way too um, easy on on people in general, but especially on, on my kid, right. Um, that I, and I'm sure this is out there somewhere. Um, I'm, I'm no, I'm no tiger dad. If anything, I'm, I'm the lamb dad. I'm like the opposite. Uh, and, and maybe there's pros and cons to that as well, but, um, but we could discuss that. So, so that's, yeah, that's like the, uh, the tiger mom thing. So, so what's your, what was your take on it from what you did, uh, did listen to? So I thought it was actually really interesting. So here's here's the thing. Like I I would say that I I would lean more towards the tiger dad. Oh yeah. The lion dad. <laughs> yeah. The lion. Right. Like I, you know, believe that that the the three well well 
what Wesley is referring to is the three transformations of the spirit. <laughs> and <laughs> um, if you don't know that, what it basically is, it's a, it's a, a myth, you know, it, it's the basic idea is that like, you know, a child is a camel. You load that child up with as much as you can, as much as they can bear to stand on. Um, so that, you know, the, and you send them out into the wilderness, right? And they'll, they'll come back a lion. The heavier the load, the stronger the lion, right? Mm-hmm. And that lion then goes on to be able to slay all the, the you know, the thou shells on the scales of the dragon in the world, you know, and, you know, basically they can become their own person, right? Um, yeah. And they can, they can live life on their own terms with their own philosophy, um, not necessarily yours, but it is determined by the amount of things you put on that kid. Now, is that, does that mean like pressure? No, right? You can load them up with, with philosophy. You can load them up with like lessons, you, can, you know, but part of it is pressure too. Like you need mm-hmm. to perform here, you know, um, this is, this is, these are my expectations of you. And uh, if you reach those expectations, you'll be celebrated. And if not, then we'll talk about how you can reach them next time. So in that sense, you, you know, I really do believe that you should set high expectations for your kid. You know, like the the big the thing that people get most upset about with this woman is that, like, you know, she says if like a kid got a, a ninety seven instead of a hundred, right? The the Asian mom would be like, well, what happened to the other three points? You know, her mom I mean? would to, say this to her. Yeah, yeah. What her mom would say, whatever. What what happened to the other three percent? And while some would seem think that's harsh, right? I think maybe some of the best learning experiences are just that, right? It's not necessarily about what you got right, right? It's about exactly. where you fell, where you can grow, where, where you can grow, mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about, right? And so, yeah. um, of course, you want to celebrate the ninety-seven, but if you leave out the other three, then they never grow in that area, right? And I believe that you want to. You, you want your kid to think that they can constantly like grow and improve and it should be a motivating thing not necessarily this thing of like oh i didn't do this well um, exactly exactly so um but i you know in general i thought it was great you know one of the things that was interesting that she talked about in the in the podcast is when people were saying that she was being racist and racially insensitive right one of the things that she pointed out was that was mainly sort of like privileged white liberal people, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, she was being invited to all sorts of HBCUs or historically black colleges and universities because they did want to instill this sense of exceptionalism into right. their students, right? And that has always been the truth, I think, um, in the black community. There's always been some, some balance, right? where you have to feel good about yourself in a world through the media, through a lot of interactions, is telling you that you're not good enough, you mm-hmm. know? And so what is the problem with parents, you know, like consciously insti- instilling some sort of exceptionalism, like in their kid, saying that like, you know, despite all these things that are going on, you know, it can go too far either way. So there's this one really good book um, um, that I read a really long time ago. 
um, it was uh, it was sort of data driven. It was called "Why Do All the Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I know that book. And one of the one of the data pieces that she pulled out in that book was she said that if you if you made it clear for a black child like what the challenges were mm-hmm. in the world, what the challenges were going to be for them in the world, they were more likely to succeed. If you ignored them, they were like less likely to succeed. And succeed yeah. means like, you know, like good, good grades, graduate high school, sure. going to college, so on and so forth. However, if you went, if you were literally every day talking about the plight of Black America, <laughs> then they were also less likely to succeed, right? Huh. So again, it was about this idea of just sort of like raising awareness of what the, what is actually happening around you, what might happen to you. And then also instilling that exceptionalism. And that mm-hmm. was the recipe for success based off all these like these studies that they that they've done with these black parents. So what she's talking about is not, you know, like unfounded. You know what I mean? It's not right. something that it's not been said before. In some cases, I think people just don't like that she's the one saying it, right? Like yes. um, and there's a soft bigotry, I think, too, to allow one group to say that without repercussion. Mm-hmm. And 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 not think another group should be able to say that. What does that mean, really? Right? You know, that's a different question for me <laughs> for another episode. You know, so yeah, a lot of stuff she she talks about. If you you know talk to a lot of parents of children at HBCUs, they will say, absolutely, this is w- what um, yeah we we're trying to do here. And I think it's important because you know. It's sad, but you know, like there's a lot of things that are that my kid, you know, one of my kids especially is up against. Like he was, or you know, you know, like one of my kids, KJ, is um, is in the foster care system, right? Like we're in the process of adopting him, and he needs to, and he's got a lot of challenges because of that, right? Like there's a lot of trauma that comes with that. At the same time you still need to perform up to the standards oh. of this house, right? And exactly. He, and he performs up to the standards of this house. But you know what, you know what is also true? Like, if there were no standards, he'd have no standards, without question. He's going to rise to the level of your expectations, <laughs> exactly. or he's going to rise to the level of your expectations <laughs> exactly. when they're down here, wherever right. they are. Right. That's just too. who he is. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, like, if I don't set those expectations – He'll be he'll be mediocre, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But like he gets like we don't accept C's, right? As soon as you as soon as you get a C on a progress report or on a whatever, no, actually not even progress reports now because we're online, which I feel so bad for him. But the rule is the rule, you know. We log on to the thing, and if you get a C on your first assignment, that means your grade is in fact the C in that class. I'm gonna need you to run that Xbox, buddy. You know, so and he there's gets upset. A- consequence yeah 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 but it's like hopefully it's up i guess this next test is going to be you know but you know he he ends up at by the end of the year always performing very well you know right on but without any of those tensions during the year i don't know that he'd do that you know what i mean yeah yeah i think that's a big thing for every kid i think is just having those boundaries like as much as we were talking about earlier, yeah, they're going to push against them and they're going to find ways around your best laid plans um, for them. 
but at the same time, they need to know that you're you're doing all that you can to to keep them on track and to put those expectations. Um, and when they are struggling, that you're going to help them, but also there's going to be consequences. And that's just like a a basic kind of trust, right? That maybe brings tension with it because they're they're butting heads with you. But on the other hand, um, it's it's clear at least that everybody cares and everybody is invested uh, in this together. Um, and that's, again, like that's the thing that's so hard to feel when all of the kids in the room are on their different devices and they're in their own little worlds. <laughs> like where is our joint effort here? Where is our like caring for one another um, showing up here? And I think if, if a parent comes to me and tells me like, you know, this kid can do much better than this. Like, why are they getting these grades? Again, as a teacher, that shows me that the parent is invested and they are keeping up with everything. And I, and I have like an ally in that person, basically. I assume that all parents want their kids to do well, but at the end of the day, not all of them show up with that kind of, oh, I'm actually following up on this. I'm actually going to hold the kid accountable and take the Xbox away, right? Like that would be great if everyone were doing that. And so I think the other, yeah, the piece that you're bringing up about like the cultural aspect of that is super interesting, right? Because it's like, it's one thing to individually within your family, like have great high standards and stuff. But I think what, what you're describing, what she's describing is like a higher level of like, everybody is sort of like working to reach a high standard together. They don't want to let down their group, right? Or their mm -hmm. race or whatever it is. Um, and that's something that, I mean, I personally growing up didn't have a lot of like consciousness of myself as a white person or like, am I trying to like reach a bar in some way? Um, and and I, I didn't really feel that uh, for better or for worse. But what I think part of what the, the leadership and the liberal arts and the stuff that we're trying to talk about here is about saying like, no, there's like a universal standard that we can all like as human beings um we can we can meet it some are going to have more challenges than others of course but like we don't need to be in our like little silos um trying to figure things out totally isolated from each other and on the other hand we don't need to be like saying like oh our group is like better than that other group over there we we can sort of all pull together and and learn from each other and that that's i think that's like the vision of public education it's not it's not working great a lot of the time, but that that is what we're, we're working towards anyway. So I think I'm trying to segue, I guess, to like a little bit of the leadership thing. I've I've got only like five minutes right now to talk, but um, I want to hear about the baptism today, at least a little bit before I got to go. Oh, yeah. So we had a baptism on our property. So my really good friend, uh, Dylan's church called Purpose Community Church. This is such a cool church. So it's a church that is created for givers, right? Like folks who spend the life spend their life giving back um and need a space to be, you know, taken care of essentially, right? Mm -hmm. Um and spiritual guidance that informs the way that they engage in community, engage in the world. Um, and things like that. So Dylan reached out and asked if we could have the, if he could have 
the um, baptism on the property. And I was like, of course you can, like, go for it. And it was, it was really great. Um, Shelly was greeting people <laughs> as they, as they walked up the, um, the driveway, you know, she was like, keep your distance, of yeah. course, but how are you? <laughs> um, good. So, yeah. Set those boundaries. Yeah. So that and good. feel welcome. Yes. If, yes. if Shelly could do anything, she can set some boundaries. So that's, <laughs> that is what they, she's never had any problem doing, um, since the day she was born so that's good i would i you know i think all kids are sort of born with it. um oh yeah so uh you know we don't really have time to sort of get into some of these questions but one big leadership thing that i learned from through this baptism and through other things is to let your kids help mm-hmm. right like it was a lot of things there are a lot of things that had to go well for this to be, be successful we had to put together a huge pool and the tent, <laughs> you know, so the whole nine, you know, like it was a church in the backyard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we ended up putting together this pool. And of course, Shelly jumps in and she wants to help right away. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and KJ jumps in and then want to help right away. Of course, me and Dylan can handle this thing faster, probably on our own. Um, but not if the kids are being bad because but, they aren't getting right. allowed to help not <laughs> so. true so that's one aspect of it so like yes. there's one pragmatic piece of it but shelly wants to put these pipes together she wants to take them out it takes her longer right to do it um it's a lot of coordination yeah it's a lot of coordination to take the pipes out take them out of the plastic and do all those things um but i think the lesson is worth the time right Yes. You know, and so like I say this a lot of times, like not everything's about being efficient, right? Some things are more about, you know, like building and providing for your community or your family, right? So there are ways in which you can do things that are more efficient, but those ways you end up sacrificing certain things, right? Technically, Shelly would have had to sacrifice work on like, you know, motor skills, confidence, you know, like the ability to, to do something, mm-hmm. but, you know, I guess at the end of it, you know, she's more confident having helped put together the pool. Like she's like, that's my pool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe she's pretty slow at doing the first pull, but I bet yeah. that she got faster by yeah. the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she did get that. Yeah. She got yeah. faster and like, you had to put these little pins in to hold it together she really wanted to do that one but she just worked on hers till everyone else was done and she wasn't like oh shoot like and that's the thing kids don't really compare themselves they haven't learned to compare themselves she's she's not sitting there like everyone else is going so fast she's focused on her one little pen and she doesn't care what anyone else is doing and i thought that and i think that's just so great because you know for me what i what i learned is that you know like the lesson is that you know the, the kid will focus on their job. You know, I think that's so do their job. important in terms of like, wh- why is school not going well for so many kids? I think a lot of it is because they don't feel like what they're doing has any bearing on what the people that they care about are doing right on mm-hmm. any given day yeah. versus imagine a world where like, you know, the kid knows how to do a, a job, right? And, and they're like involved in that um, and that the community is coming together for whatever it might be right? Um, to build something, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they're like, you know, 
in charge or like know exactly how everything works. But as long as they are feeling like they're part of it and that they are contributing in some way, yeah, um, that's where they are going to put in all that effort that you want to see, right? And so, again, just like building those habits, I think, is such a big thing um, that they can then take and transfer to whatever they want to do. So right. it's, it's crucial. And it makes all these things like matter more because they contributed to it. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to get technical, you know, like there's a lot of like actual things that like we could that like she who she was learning while she was doing that. You know what I mean? Like KJ was learning how to follow someone else's direction instead of mine because, you know, Uncle Dylan was the lead on this on this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Shelly was developing her language, right? Like she never heard, um, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, we have to put the dowel in the hole now. You know what I mean? What's a dowel? This is a dowel. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, but you have that context. And right. You're like, but it's context. You're right and there. It's like, it's not just some word that means nothing. It's like, oh, this exactly. thing goes in here and it holds this together so that water can go in this and I can swim my ass off. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, wow. So now. You know, real. this is real and it matters. Mm-hmm. And so there's motivation to know it. And so like, I think a lot of times when we're doing things around the house, like there's room for so many lessons to be had. Um, if you don't concern yourself about getting it done fast, right. Yes. Or as fast as possible, because even that, like, it was going to take a long time to put together this pool. You know what I mean? Like what's 10 more minutes, you know? Yeah. Like, so there is no fast way to do a lot of things. And so like 10 more minutes to engage your kids, I think is like a really important thing. So if you're listening and if your kid wants to help and it's not like dealing Dangerous. with like acid or something, let them help. I don't know, you know. Um, so I think that is all we have time for And But that's a, that's a good first episode. I, I'm going to say that's... One in the bank. Yeah, we got uh, one in the bank. Any wise words you want to leave? Um, any? I think, yeah. I mean, I I think that there is a way for the lion to lay down with the lamb when it comes to the parenting thing, and I'm gonna keep thinking about that a little bit more. But um, but maybe maybe part of it is just yeah, not being afraid of just being who you actually are, right, and who your kid needs you to be not trying to be something that you're not um, as long as some of those basic principles like we talked about are, are still in place. And you know what? I think that is so true. So like, let's piggyback on that. Like just be yourself with your kid. You know what I mean? Like there obviously there's some things that you're going to have to adjust like with your kid and there's no like right or wrong way. Um, well, there is right or wrong way <laughs> to do a lot of things. Hold on, hold on, hold on, let me back up. There's a right or wrong. There's a right or wrong way for a lot of things. Okay, this is true. So, but there's not one one. But right there's not way. There's one not right way one to yeah, do yeah, yeah. these yeah. things. Um, <laughs> you know, and and I and I would think Wesley. I think in our friendship, especially since we both literally had children a week apart. Right. Right. Like. <laughs> How crazy is that? Like, I think in a lot of ways we take cues from each other, you know, like in certain ways, because, you know, and a lot of these things will ask each other questions that make us think, maybe, oh, okay. You know, so how, like, do you, like, we, um, like, 
do how do I do this maybe a little differently you know what I mean because maybe um my basic self isn't what my kid needs right now you know what I mean like maybe they need something a little different and I can do that in the moment you know with some thought and like intention um that doesn't mean I need to change who I am but at the same time I can like you know like take a step um so it's not about uh you know one sort of prototype but you know about like just thinking about what it is you're doing you know hopefully before but if you have to reflect on it after and you know (laughs) do better the next time do better the next time that three percent that three percent we're we're constantly improving (laughs) and just to be clear we're not saying you need to be grade grubbing please do not go to the teacher and say my mom's my dad's you know getting on my case about this three percent key just like bump my grade up a little. Oh, no, no. I know KJ does that. Oh, I, just I just know it. I, I know, know all I the kids. Because <laughs> I'm the soft teacher that they all come to when oh, they want no. that. And I say no, no, I will not do. That. But but on the next one, right? But here's what you should do next. Time. <laughs> yes. So um, so yeah. Um, so this was great. Yeah. For thanks so much, dads out there. Don't be so hard on yourself. This. This is hard. Yeah. All right. See you next time. Take care.